Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 2nd, 2018. 2017 is in the can of news behind us. Remember always to look forward but learn from the past. We'll talk about that when we get to the history segment today. What is today's show going to be? It's Tuesday. That's time for a Just Jack show. But as I told you guys in the Rewind episode yesterday where I took the first of the year off, We are not having a Just Jack. We're having a Just Jack and Steve. Yes, we are doing Bug Out Trailers Part 2. Now, let me tell you what the original plan was. The original plan was this. Jack and Steve would do an off-the-cuff show on Bug Out Trailers. It would generate some interest and some questions. Jack and Steve would do Part 2 and answer those questions. Sitting in front of me, I'm moving them up and down in classic newscaster fashion right now, is a stack of papers, 14 of them. 14 pages. This is Steve Harris's show outline. That would be a long outline. But you know what's not on here? Like a bunch of content from Steve. There's a few notes in the direction he thinks we should go with each set of questions. It's 14 pages of freaking questions. I'm not complaining. I'm just laying out for you reality. Let's say that we did each one of these pages in 10 minutes. Considering some of these pages have as many as 20 questions on them or more... That ain't going to happen. Well, let's say we were able to knock out a page in 10 minutes. 140 minutes, 2.6 hours, or 2.3 hours. Puts a show in at about three hours. Not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. I think it's more likely that there's about four and a half to five, maybe six hours of content here. And that's going pretty quick on some of these questions and not getting too detailed, putting people in the right direction, the right mindset, keeping it more generic so we don't get into like completely building out one guy's trailer for two hours, right? So what I made a decision we're going to do is when we bring Steve on, we will roll for about one hour and 15 minutes, about five minutes from being there. I'll tell Steve we've got five minutes left. You'll hear that, too, because I'm not going to edit it out. And we'll wrap it at one hour, 15, solid with the intro and exit. We should be at about 90 minutes. Another, another announcement kind of for you guys is I've, I've realized that the show has gone like two hours, two hours plus a lot of times. I think that's too long. I think an hour and 30 minutes is a good target for the show. I'm going to make a real effort to contain the show to one hour, 30 minutes going into 2018 throughout the year so that you guys have time to actually listen to entire shows. All right. With that in mind, let's move along. Uh, before we uh, get Steve on, let's remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, J.M. Bullion. I am a huge fan of silver and gold in your wealth portfolio. Is two things. One, it is a form of wealth assurance. Silver and gold have never been worth zero in the 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 written history of mankind. From the very first point that man figured out what gold and silver was and valued it as something, it has been worth something anywhere you go. It's also the most anonymous form of wealth. I love cryptocurrency. We'll be talking about it more in 2018, I promise you. By the way, have you checked the price of Eon lately? A E O N. Jack told you about that. Almost three bucks. Just check it out today, and you'll you'll see why you should listen to Jack. But on, on silver and gold, it is more anonymous than cryptocurrency. It's independent of any type of electricity or grid power, and it is a type of wealth that you can hand down to your children and your children's children, your children's 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 children, and it's it, it doesn't change. It doesn't break down. It doesn't go bad. 
It doesn't matter what happens to the local economies, good, bad, or indifferent. It's still silver and gold. And because it's a physical commodity you hold in your hand, you can actually you know, just make sure that they get it when you're gone, kind of like your golf clubs. And nobody needs to know nothing. You get what I'm saying? Nothing else does that like silver and gold, and you should pay less for it than you would anywhere else. JM Bullion's where you'll get the best service and you'll get the best pricing. Check them out today, jambullion.com. Next up, we have the other precious metal, copper-jacketed lead. Yep. Bulkammo.com. Hey, remember, if your gun has no ammo, it's an overpriced club. It's useless. It doesn't do what guns are supposed to do. You need ammo. You need lots of it. You need to run it. You need to train with the gun that you're going to use. There's no reason to pay more for your ammo than you should. And when you order ammo, it shouldn't take a week to get to your house. It should get there lightning fast. That's what happens with BulkAmmo.com. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. We are up to the year 85 A.D. today. A pretty short history segment today from David Verne, Legislating Morality. As part of his goal to return the Roman Empire to the greatness it enjoyed under Augustus, Domitian has decided the next step would be reestablishing conservative Roman morality. His first act was to enforce unspoken seating of laws in amphitheaters and arenas, and the upper classes seating uh, closer to the performance. Domitian then executed Hermogenes, a historian whose history contained indirect attacks on the emperor. He then banned public acting and banished a senator who liked to act on stage, which Domitian saw as worse than prostitution. In addition to all this, he also began a rigorous enforcement of sexual morality laws. The upper classes were already upset that Domitian never missed a chance to snub them, and all classes liked him even less after he tried to regulate their bedrooms. For now, no plots were hatched, but the first real trouble of Domitian's reign was on the horizon with a serious war brewing on the Dacian border. My take by David Verne. In ancient Rome, actors and musicians were on the same social status as prostitutes and beggars. Everyone loved them during a performance, but once that was over, they lived in the worst slums of Rome. Some of this was changing around the time of Domitian, and he saw this, along with many other things, as a degeneration of Roman culture. Instead of focusing on policies that could be accomplished, he tried to pursue a public policy that alienated nearly the entire population and was nearly impossible to implement. Gee, government passing laws and regulations that it can't possibly hope to enforce and it not working good? It actually making things worse and causing people to hate the government and cheat the system? No, that would never happen in 2018, drug war much. Yeah, <laughs> that's just one example, isn't it? Isn't it? But you know what this really makes me think of? I was watching a, a thing called The 70s last night on CNN. It was actually something CNN put on worth watching. By the way, just as a side, they have this commercial now. I should have taped it on my phone. It is freaking laughable. It's like, this is an apple. People might tell you it's a banana. I'm serious to God. you got to look this up. People might tell you it's a banana, but it's an apple. They might tell you it's a banana. And it goes on for like 30 seconds of this stupid shit. And it's just a picture of an apple. And then it just says... Truth first, CNN. <laughs> that means they're not fake news, right? Anyway, so fake news has this documentary out on the 70s. It's actually pretty accurate. And they talk about family hour, which was for two hours. You couldn't say anything on network television that might offend somebody. Now, remember, they had all these regulations of things you couldn't say anyway and words you couldn't use anyway, the seven words from George Carl and all that stuff. But from seven to nine, you couldn't do anything that anybody might construe as offensive. And the actors fought back, and they sued in federal court to get rid of Family Hour. 
And federal court did rule that family hour was unconstitutional. And screaming and gnashing of teeth rang out that we would destroy our children if we didn't have family hour. Yeah, that really happened. More, then they went into cable television. And the network saying it could be a really great thing, but they have forecasted doom and gloom and the rotting of our minds and the destruction of society. Because cable TV would give you more than three plus PBS four choices. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, see what this is, is establishment and control doesn't like change. Because it spells a loss of power for them. And if you want to know why they, they might have had such a, a, a pathetic view of musicians and actors and performers, it's because they developed the ability to have soft power with the populace. And those in power, for obvious reasons, don't like that. That's just a thought. Next up, hey, you know what would be a great thing to do this year in 2018, especially if your membership expired or it failed to renew? How about renewing? How about renewing your MSB or if you've never been a member before, becoming a member? I've got a special deal for you today. You renew today or sign up new today. It'll work for renewals and new people, active accounts. It won't work because it doesn't work that way. 30 bucks. 30 bucks for MSB. And because I'm feeling generous and it's New Year, it's recurring. So if you sign up for a year, you get recurring billing. As long as you stay a member, your membership will stay $30 for the rest of your life. It will never go up as long as you stay a member. Uh, I'll have a discount code for you guys. That will be just simply 2018. I'm going to run it all week until close of business Sunday night. Midnight, Sunday Central Standard Time where I live, and there are no exceptions because I believe a sale is only a sale if you mean what you say. Otherwise, it's just bullshit and marketing, and I don't do that. So if you've been waiting to become an MSB member, new year, new things on the horizon. I'm getting you guys lots of discounts. I'm working a really killer one for you guys right now, but I'm pushing back on the company because they're not doing what I want. I want to make sure they do what I want because I want to get the best deal for you. You got planning coming. We got all kinds of discounts in there, 30 bucks. It will pay for itself. If your membership lasts 30 bucks, Both renewals, uh, expired account renewals, and new customers just use the discount 2018 when you sign up. It only applies for the one-year membership, though, 30 bucks, and it applies to recurring. And with that, let me introduce the all-time most apparent guest on the Survival Podcast. I don't even know how many times it is now, and I'm not even counting his expert counsel stuff, which is awesome. I'm talking interviews. The man himself. Stephen Harris to talk about Bug Out Trailers 2.0. Hey, Steve, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, you've created a monster that's taken off on us. I, I think we've created a monster. I, I, I knew that when we did episode one of this, that it would probably not be simply two episodes, right? After, but after we'd, get, we'd knock it out in three. Um, I think if we tried to answer everything that came in, it'd be tomorrow. <laughs> we, we st I mean, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. It's probably twelve hours of freaking content if we if we we went in depth on it. So this is a multi part series. I already set up a tag. It's a bot trailer show. That's going to be for all of these. Um, so if somebody's listening in the future, you can put you go to the tag cloud on the site and get all of them in one place. But uh, you know, we did this. We started out talking about bug out trailers. I think it's a really great idea. Um, I've actually evo evaluated it a lot more myself since we've talked, and I'm trying to think of how to do, we won't get into this because it can be a show in itself, but how to make it more than a one-trick pony. Um, 
possibly actually doing my uh, – I've got a CoolBot. I don't know if you know what those are. I've got a CoolBot. Yep. And I've thought about actually making a refrigerated trailer instead of, you know, building out a giant box in one of my garages, but then still make it able to, uh, to be a bug-out trailer because it would be double yeah. duty then. In fact, uh, there's a question in our stuff about that. A guy wants to use the uh, the trailer for his uh, off-road vehicles, motorcycle, and ATVs. Yeah, at the same time, he wants to be able to like quickly load in uh, bunks and quickly load in totes of supplies and stuff, and then bug out in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little overly ambitious, but uh, the fact yeah. that it could do double duty would not be a bad thing, you know. But the, create, the creativity of this audience is beyond description. <laughs> so let's 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 kind of jump into it here. Um, we've got this entire uh, entourage here of questions. Here's the first one we have, and I want to thank you before we start for taking the time to put this book together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot too. I mean, I God. All right, so the first one says, uh, additional follow-up question. For those of us who travel extensively for extended work assignments, say six-plus months out of the year, and essentially live out of a travel trailer or fifth wheel, in my case as an insurance catastrophic adjuster, uh, what should I consider or do to enhance the resilience usefulness of the trailer and or tow vehicle? If I were to start with a blank slate, what vehicles, trailers should I consider? Um, on some level, Steve, I'd say this guy probably can answer his own question better than us. I've never lived out of a travel trailer, right? So I think if you're living out of one already, the only thing that I would add to that is maybe test yourself. You know, like... Oh, uh, yeah, definitely test yourself. Now, the thing is, travel trailers are really kind of meant for weekend and week-long journeys. Um, and it's nice that they come with almost everything that you need, but it's a miniature chair, it's a miniature place to eat, it's a miniature kitchen, it's a miniature refrigerator. And everything in a bumper trailer, uh, a trailer that hooks up to the bumper of the vehicle, it doesn't have a lot of storage space. So what you want to do is put something on the back of your trailer or into the bed of your pickup truck or on top of your SUV that lets you carry more water, more fuel, etc. in five-gallon, two-and-a-half-gallon, uh, our favorite favorite from Uline, two and a half gallon containers, uh, five gallon containers, uh, or fifteen gallon containers to carry more water, more gasoline. So you got like more range, more duration, more everything else, and then you know more totes and more storage. Uh, you know submarines. When a submarine goes out, their only limiting factor is the amount of food. They put the cans on the floor. And literally for the first month or two, they're walking on top of the cans of food <laughs> in the aisles of the submarine. So you yeah, want duck to, a little bit more then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you want to be able to, you know, people are talking. We'll talk about black water tanks and stuff, but you know, dig a hole, dump the black water, uh, add, you know, have a pump so you can get more fresh water from a river or a lake. That's non-drinking, but it's for showering and cooking and washing. So be able to get more water, be able to carry more water, be able to dump your black tank, have more food on board, more water on board, and more fuel on board, and have the easy ability to go out and get more fuel and bring it back to the trailer. And what I'd add to that is, so I'm a big fan of a guy named Ed Wallace. He does a show called Wheels. 
And people will call in and go, do I buy, you know, the Ford Explorer or the Toyota 4Runner? And, and Ed will always say, which one do you like more? And the guy will hem and haw around, but when he gets down to it, he'll say, oh, I like the 4Runner. He's going to go buy it. Right? They, they're, they're, they, all these manufacturers today are building things that are fairly equivalent to each other if you buy the same class. Yeah. So with that in mind, with a vehicle, I'm a Ford guy. I like Ford. I have affinity for Ford. But if I was in the market for a new diesel truck, I can't tell you that Dodge or Chevy couldn't pull me away, right? But right. I would say if you're going to be pulling a big-ass trailer, like something you're going to live out of, diesel, 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 and then diesel, um, yes. period. And, you know, something in like an F-350 class or, or up. That I mean, it just – even though a, a lighter truck, a gas truck can do it, you'll be happier. And then on the the format, I'm a huge fan if you're going to be towing something of a fifth wheel. Um, yeah. I haven't owned a fifth-wheel trailer, but in my construction days, I towed a lot of gooseneck trailers, which works pretty much the same way when you're backing and stuff like that. And I've owned a bumper trailer, um, and it was, you know, I was pulling it with a 350, and it was a very small hybrid trailer. So it, it didn't, didn't bother. The, the truck didn't know it was there. But when it comes to backing things up in the tight spaces and all, you can't beat a fifth wheel. And then for living space, if you're going to live out of it, I'm either looking at a motor coach, you know, a really nice one like the ones you see on TV, like at the special shows or whatever, or I'm looking at a fifth wheel. I'm not living out of a bumper trailer. I'm just not doing it. Yeah, the thing is, when you get to a fifth wheel, the price triples. And yeah. your, your space goes up and everything. You go to a fifth wheel, you've got to have a diesel. You would be really economically silly to do it with a gasoline engine because you'd be getting four to eight miles a gallon. But, you know, I want to also address the people out there. It's like, you know, I got like a 12-foot bumper trailer that's really small. And other people, they got pop-up trailers. Other people are using 7 by 6 by 12-foot trailers. And, you know, they're a lot smaller. So sometimes those trailers, people can live out of a small trailer for a significant period of time if you're smart. Yeah. So can you can you put stuff on top of the trailer? Can you put stuff behind the trailer? You know, do you have a small pickup truck that you're pulling the trailer, the little trailer with that you can put more stuff? And it's like, okay, you can put stuff in the bed of a pickup truck, but you can put two and three totes on top of each other when mm -hmm. you have an absolutely awesome cargo net and strap-down system. You can put two and three totes, especially those black and yellow ones that you and I like so yep, much. because they stack you inside can, each other. And then when you ratchet strap those things down, they don't go anywhere. Oh, no, they don't. They, they, they're, they're, they're waterproof. I had them in the back of my truck for three months, and I cheeked them on opening and checking it when it was raining and snowing. It's like, they're waterproof. Um, so, I mean, think, think in those terms. Like, how much more can I get out of the back of my truck? How much can I, what can I do for my space? And let me say, like, my comments about a fifth wheel is being what I would live out of. And the only thing I would live out of, I'm going to tell you, that's if I'm going to live out of it, and that's me. There's people that live in a Prius, right? Yes. That's my personal opinion. I actually think some of these smaller trailers, and it, the thing is that some of them are actually harder to find because everybody wants, like, the 18, 22, 24-foot easy-to-maneuver yes. one um, over, like, a 32-footer. But for a bug-out trailer or a camping trailer, in some ways they would be highly preferable. I'm answering the question from you're going to go on the road for six months at a time. Personally, me, I'm going to make the investment. The other option, I think, and this is off topic, so we won't go deep down the road, is I had a guy come stay here. He had a gorgeous uh, Class A motorhome, 
I mean, something yeah. when I sold new, it was probably like 110,000. It was in really great shape. He had about 50,000 miles on it. He got it for 35 grand. Yep. And that will, you know, if you want gas efficiency when you get where you're going, towing behind your Prius or whatever, you know, anything but a smart car, because a smart car is a dumb car. That's how you die. Um, yep. Right? Like that, I would do either one of those over ever trying to live out of anything else. I mean, I'm talking again, living here. I got a really good friend uh, who met me via TSP. He actually was doing relief work in Mali, and he is an expert on everything third world. And his name is Dave Iam. He's a great guy. I talk to him almost daily. He said that one of the smartest things that he heard us say in the last bug out show is, keep in mind, you might be bugging out only 12 feet into your backyard. Yep. yep. And it's like, if I had a grease fire in my kitchen and I hit the extinguisher on it, I had smoke damage and a fire department showed up and sprayed some water, my house might be stinky and unlivable while the um, kitchen's being rebuilt. But, I mean, if I got my trailer outside, it's like I got my living accommodations right next to my house as it's being rebuilt. Or it may only be... Uh you know, filling in for like your kitchen and some storage, right? Like yeah. you might, you might have the house taped off. Cause like yeah. when I had my kitchen done, they taped it off with, you know, plastic. So yeah. I had, I had no kitchen. Now for us, we, we cook out most days out of the year, except right now when it's like 14 freaking degrees out. Uh, right. So what, no big deal. But like, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, and during Harvey, when people had those floods that never had floods, we, uh, with the CAC teams, we went driving through the country looking for tents behind people's houses. And those people had moved three generations of people out of their no-insurance $40,000 house into two tents in their backyard because they had three inches of sill and muck inside their house. And, you know, they bugged out to their backyard. That's, that's had, very true. They had, they had no choice. That's very true. And it wasn't, the, the, you know, the water went down. You could still be there, but the house was shot. Let's move on so we don't, we don't get stuck here. Um, here's an interesting question. When designing your bug-out trailer, how important is managing the tongue weight? And is there a device you would recommend to monitor for that during the build process <laughs> so as to move storage areas forward and backward in a trailer? I think that's uh, uh, important, but it also has a big it depends. Yeah. Um, right. If you have a small cargo trailer and you're going to you're going to be towing it with an F350. Yeah. You got to go out of your like I don't know you can put gold in the front of it or something, but if you're going to be towing it with a Camaro, right? You got a whole different scenario there, but uh I mean I know they make little scales like where you get this little bitty scale a cop can keep in his trunk. They'll make a trucker pull on to make sure the truck's not overloaded. So it doesn't seem that complicated to, to, to monitor your, your tongue weight. What do you say on that? Uh, as, I was, as most people know, I was a development engineer for Jeep and Truck Engineering, and I pulled trailers like crazy. I can tell you the theoretical is the tongue weight should be 8% of the, 10% of the trailer weight. Okay. Now, can you really do that? In, in, no, it's really hard for you to measure that. What you want to do is you want to make sure all of your weight is over the axle or axles mm -hmm. of the trailer. You want to keep the front as light as possible. If you have a small trailer, let's say um, a, a 7x12 or something small, if you can't pick up the front and move it, the tongue's too heavy. If you got a 
big trailer, and just by its nature of being like my 28-footer, the, the tongue is on a wheel. You also, anytime you have a turn down to uh, turn down to the ground, that should not that should be a wheel. So you can at least move the tongue with um, a jack left and right an inch or two to get it onto the ball of the trailer. And if you put your trailer onto your vehicle, your Camaro, your Dodge, your Ford, and the rear end of the truck goes, and you can see the, you can see the rear suspension go down. Yeah, you got too much trunk tr- tongue weight. Go put some of that weight behind on the other side of the axles to give it some more lift and everything else. So that is really. All you need to know about tongue weight. Small I, trailer, you got to be able to move it. I, and I guess I would also add a couple things to that. Number one, people always worry about the stuff you're putting in there. The stuff you're going to put in these trailers to make them a bug out trailer ain't that heavy, right? Because you can only you got to you got to size it according to the need. The heaviest thing that you're going to probably put on any one of these vehicles is a water tank. Water and so, fuel. So and really. Yeah, so really think about where anything that's going to hold liquid goes because you got about eight and a third pounds of the gallon. Um, and then the other thing is, I don't know what they're called, but my buddy David had his trailer here for the last workshop. It was a pretty good-sized cargo trailer, and it's like a trailer jack, I guess, and it just has wheels on it, and you can stick it under the ball and pick it up and move it by hand. And yep. even with it fairly heavily loaded, like one person could just push this trailer back into a tight spot that maybe you couldn't back it into with a car. That might be a really good oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, in case you guys don't know what he's talking about, it's, God, it's like a, an eight-foot-long arm on a, on two wheels that are close to each other, and it's got a ball on the end of a three-foot stick. Yep. And it allows you to push it up and, you know, be the, you're now your S10 truck. It's a hand truck for trailers, yep. right? Yep. Like you would move yep. a refrigerator with, but you yep. can move a trailer with it. And, I mean, all of the, like, um, places that are, like, uh, they have trailer equipment all, they sell them. And they're not very expensive. Yep. Yes. All you got, if you can get over the inertia, you can move it, even if it's 10,000 pounds. <coughs> How about this one? Would you have any concerns with mounting a 100-pound propane tank inside the trailer during travel to be moved outside the trailer when stationary. <laughs> I absolutely would not have any problem at all with any propane tanks of any type inside or outside of a trailer. In fact, if you want, you can leave the propane tank inside of the trailer. There's something called the Mercaptan, which puts odor into it. If you can smell it, then you got a leak. And let me tell you, in order for propane to be dangerous enough, that stink is going to be so bad, you're going to be puking your guts out. So in which case, you would open all the doors and everything out, turn it off, pick it up, pull it outside. No. If a 100-pound propane tank, they're about 5 feet tall. They used to be 75 bucks at Lowe's. you got to look around and find them now. Um, they're better than a 45-pound or 20, definitely better than a barbecue tank. And uh, no, no problems at all. You, remember, in a trailer, everything, bungee cords, duct tape, and ratchet straps <laughs> are going to be your constant companions. Everything gets bolted down, strapped down, reinforced, clipped, um, you name it. So that propane tank's got two ratchet straps 
onto what's called E-tracks or into uh, eyelets going into the wood of the trailer that holds it in place. Now, if you did get in an accident, that propane tank got ruptured, it's going to go all over the place, but unless it finds a source of ignition, it's not going to do anything, and even if it does, it's burning up in a way. It's not like gasoline that flows under, then burns up. So even if it did catch on fire, it's going to be a safe fire. It's not going to explode. The chances are, if you rupture it, it's just going to leak out like crazy, and then within three minutes, it's all going to be gone. And here's my additions to that. So if you're using propane, I, I agree with everything you said. However, if you can mount it externally, I find it preferable just because I don't have to move it around and it doesn't take up space because I don't, it, I don't need it in there. It doesn't do anything for me to have it in there, I guess is the right. thing. Right, and it makes it – then I have to disconnect it to fill it. You know, if yep. you have it on the outside and it's fillable, you can disconnect it, pull right up to the place where they fill, uh, fill propane, here tractor supply, back in. The guy will hook up to it and fill it straight up. So yeah. the, there's an the advantage hunt. there. Yep. The, the, the other thing is when not in use, close the freaking valve because yeah. you can start fires. I don't know if you heard this week. There, I think it might have been up, up where you used to live, like Michigan or whatever, but some kid turned the propane stove burner on and then turned the other propane stove burner on. One was ignited, one wasn't, and this was in an apartment complex. And like 13 people were killed in a fire that it started. Not from the propane directly like exploding or whatever, but it started a fire. The fire went, you know, apartment to apartment to apartment, lower in place. So like there's a lesson there. If you ain't using it, shut it the hell off. And if you smell it, get it the hell out. Get it the hell out. And you, you'll smell it. When we installed my, my new gas range, I have propane here, and the guy cracked the valve for just a second. I don't remember why, but he did. And the whole house reeked. From like yeah. psh, that was that much, and it reeked. So, and, and that let me emphasize that's just the indication. That's like okay, there's a leak. Let's you know turn everything off, move it out. Yeah. When, in order for it to be a danger, you go, oh, I smell propane. But in order for it to be a danger, I mean, I talked to the guy from Consumers Energy. He says the smell will be so bad you will be puking. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. In order for it to be dangerous, so. Yeah. So let's uh, move on. If I don't want to use spray foam insulation, well, you're wrong. But anyway, um, <laughs> what would be the best alternative? Uh, furniture blankets from Harbor Freight or aluminized bubble wrap type insulation or foam board cut to fit? Well, uh, I got to give credit to Dave Iam. He's the one who told me about furniture blankets from Harbor Freight. I go, oh, my God, yes, they're perfect. They're cheap, they're inexpensive, you can zip tie them to your wall, you can take a big trailer and make a smaller sleeping section with hanging uh, these blankets around and everything else, so you're, you know, you're heating you in the little area, not the whole thing. Uh, furniture blankets are a great keep it simple thing. Uh, they'd also be a great backup in case you were in your house with no heat. Uh, aluminized bubble wrap is a favorite of Bob Wells. I forgot the name of it, but it, it, it's like little hexagons or it's like little bubble wrap, like half an mm -hmm. inch or an inch thick. It's luminized. You cut it. You put it in your windows. You put it on your walls. It does a better job than no insulation. And other people go to Home Depot and you get one inch or half inch foam board. And you know how the trailer's got sections, you know, it's like 16 inches or whatever, mm -hmm. or 12 inches. They'll cut it out. 
and the, it, for the curve, they'll cut it into pieces, and they'll use liquid nails and put it in, and they'll use a little spray foam to fill in the gaps. And it's it just like, how much time do you have? How do you want to do it? But, you know, those are all good methods, I think, for permanent, semi-permanent, easy. Oh, it covers the whole gambit. You know, here's my thing, though, with spray foam. I, I just bet this is possible. You're talking about a, a fairly small job for a spray mm-hmm. foam guy to do. Yep. Yep. Okay. These guys do great big giant jobs all the time. They do houses. Yep. Trailers, I, I don't know if you noticed, Steve, trailers have wheels on them. Yep. <laughs> and they're mobile. Yep. So I bet if you called up a few contractors to do spray foam insulation yep. and said, this is what I would like to do. Yep. The next time you have a job near me, you call me. Yep. Because you always overbid your materials a little bit. You yeah. know that in contracting. Yeah. I'll bring my trailer to you, and you spray foam my trailer and quote me a price. You won't have to do it. Your equipment will be set up. I'll pull out the street. Your guy gets it. It's a 15-minute job. Yep. I bet you can get that spray foam insulation done for less than the cost of a DIY foam board if you do it that way. Yep. And also, don't forget... It might be ugly, but you can spray foam the exterior of your trailer, True. not the interior. True, because it doesn't take space if you do it that way. There's also DIY foam kits, but, I mean, if I do it, I'm going to try that. I've not met anybody who did it, but I, I can't imagine a contracting company that's trying to make money turning down a quick few hundred dollars, uh, right? There's, there's, it, it's like, okay, bye, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah, that's that. Exactly. So, I mean, especially if you frame in whatever you want framed in first, and all the guy's got to do is spray it, I'd do it for, it, it, they're probably throwing some away every job. That's the way I look at it. They are, and they are. Many times they'll do it just because when you want spray foam in the future for your house, who's the first person you're going to call? Hmm. I mean, there's getting customers today, and there's getting customers for tomorrow. Yeah, some of them yeah. Are, some of them are forward-looking enough, like, yeah, you know, give me 100 bucks, I'll spray foam it real quick, and here's my business card. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's move on from there. Okay. Uh, this guy says he's got a custom 6x10 uh, with a 4-foot V-nose, clamp cargo doors, and a ramp for loading extra off-the-ground floor space when parked. Don't really know how that ties into the question, because the question is really single axle or tandem axle. Well, okay, here's the thing. Never, ever go cheap on tires or brakes in your life on any vehicle. They will save your life and hazard more than you can possibly know. If you go tandem axle, you're going to have less weight on the tires and thus less wear. But you got twice the hardware. You got twice the failure points and everything else. So if you can get away, I mean, a really good tire... You might go to a trailer place and say, no, I don't want a trailer tire. I want a car tire on that thing. I want a bigger tire. So if you're going single axle, get the best darn tire you can for it. And, you know, then stay within this weight limit. If you have to go tandem, like, you know, I just happened to get my trailer and it was tandem. Then uh, mine actually takes car tires. Uh, the key, neat thing about tandem is when we talk about security, if you get uh, a cable, you can run it through one wheel, run it through the other wheel, and lock the cable together, and you've now locked your trailer down. The trailer won't move because both the wheels on one or both sides are locked down. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and there's, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I kind of look at it this way. How often are you going to be using this trailer is another way to evaluate what you're talking about, right? So if this is a bug-out trailer that might get used once or twice a year for camping or something like that, but it really is a bug-out trailer, then you can afford to put those those four tires with a tandem on there, and you get the, the advantages of that, right? If you can, if you go, you go single axle or double, make sure you get you spend the extra money, get the best damn tires you can, especially if you're single axle. And I have been guilty of this. Make sure you put covers over your tires so they don't get sun rot. It happens, and as quickly as one season. It will destroy you. It, <laughs> you know, having a tire blowout on a trailer is not a fun thing. Well, anyway, my my point was if you could, if you are not going to be constantly putting tires, you're not going to be putting a set of tires on this once a year. Right. It may be worth the extra money investing in four versus two. In a pinch, if you have a single flat tire on a trailer with duals, a lot of times you can go somewhere before you fix it. Yes. If you have a fully flat tire on a, on a just a, a single axle trailer, you're not going anywhere. So <laughs> that's kind of you know the military thing. I had a lot of trucks with one flat tire that could get home uh, when you know you do tandem axles and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with it. But if you're going to be using it a lot and you're going to be wearing tires a lot, then I really like your kind of push toward the single axle. Because then, again, you put the money into the best tires, the highest ply, the best wear. Because imagine you're bugging out and you have tires that get a flat because you drove over a freaking thorny piece of brush. Yep. Right? I, I mean, that's like it's the worst time for it. And this is a good place for us to put in here about self-rescue. If you got a trailer, go to Harbor Freight and get yourself a $40 simple flat jack. Uh, mm. It's got wheels on it. You roll it under and you jack it up. So because you got to lift a trailer higher than you do a car to Correct. replace it. So make sure you also got some pieces of the 4x4 four four cut out, only six inches long, so you can put spacers on your jack and you know lift things up higher without being in the limitation of the jack. And he asked spring versus torsion suspension. Leaf springs are the simplest and the best to go with. But I always carried three different types of jacks multiple pieces of wood. I've had to self-rescue many times on my own in a trailer. And so you got to make sure your spare tire is aired up and it's friggin' perfect. And it's the same quality as your regular tires if you're single tire. And also, uh, note, uh, I just started, I used Fix-A-Flat, which was actually slime for the first time ever. Uh, just to experiment with it because I had a slow leak in a trailer and it's been so cold. And I got tired of putting air. Also, you're going to need a good compressor. You're going to need a good 12-volt compressor that runs off your cigarette lighter or off of a clamp that goes onto your battery. And it's going to have to have a long enough cord to go the entire to length of your truck and, and to your tire. So either you need airline running back to your tire or you need power line running to the mini compressor they're only 30 40 dollars uh so you definitely have to have your own air ability because if you get a slow leak you get out it's like all oh, my tires like mushroomed at the bottom you get out you're in the middle of nowhere you get out you fix the flat you spray in the fix the flat you got a 
air up the tire and then go spin it for 15 minutes down the road so everything gets spread around. That is a good self-rescue uh, technique. Listen to so, that part twice. So a couple of things added to that. Like So number one on the jack, if you don't have a floor jack, like right. you're talking about, go get one. A small uh, one. Even a small get a small one, one. A, a big one. If you drive a truck, any size, full-size truck, and you're going to rely on one of those little scissor crank jacks, you're, you're yeah. taking your life into your hands. The truck, you you've got room, get one of them. I think you should have one for any vehicle, but I, I understand that somebody driving a smaller compact car might not have room for adding that to what they're doing, but you need one. Um, they're, they're inexpensive, and they're much safer. And yes. when you've got you know semis blowing by you, if you've yes. ever experienced a wind draft of one of those, you don't want your car teetering on a little thing. So um, I, I completely agree with that. On uh, slime and fix-a-flat, I've used both extensively for my tractor because there's just so much thorn on this property. Yep. It's not, it doesn't make sense to constantly replace tires, so I just slime them. Slime works really, really good on your air compressor. All those air compressors come with that uh, kind of kinky, coily, yellow... Core, uh, air hose. Yeah. Uh, get as much as you need to reach your furthest tire, like you said, and then go get a second set because it's cheap. Over time, that shit gets brittle, and yep. sooner or later, it will fail. Yep. And when you're like, oh, I got a flat. Now I get to try my compressor out. You fire your compressor up, it goes, nee, and then you start, break, you, you hook the airline up to it, and you hear, Shh. guess what? You're staying flat. Yeah, also, um, a little bit of water and soap for finding the leak in your plug kit. I actually had uh, a, a, a puncture uh, right on my sidewall, and I was on the turnpike, and I, I, my alarms went off, and my tire's at 40 PSI. Oh, crap. I pull over on the turnpike in a pull-off area, and I get out my jack, and I go, like, I'm not lifting this 8,000-pound truck on the side no. of the you know, no. with this little jack is too damn dangerous. I call AAA. They're there within 15 minutes. They professionally lift up the vehicle, swap out the tire, you know, put my spare on, put air in the spare, and the next exit, uh, and I go to a tire place. It's a sidewall, and they don't go, well, it's a sidewall. we got to replace. He goes, I go, I'm going to replace these tires in a week anyways. And he uses your tire plug kit, yeah. and he, he plugged the sidewall just Fine. Let me tell you something. My dad ran a tire shop yeah. for 20 years. You go to these tire shops now, even if it's not a sidewall, even if it's in the main part of the tire, most of these tire shops will tell you, oh, you, you got it, replace the tire. We don't, they're not safe. They won't even you know, take, bust it off the rim and do an internal patch. We can't do it. It's not safe. In a single word, bullshit. Yeah. Okay? Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I've got like three plugs in my tractor out there. Now, it's not a car running down the road. My uncle, when I was a kid, though, we're driving his Jeep. We hit something we could tell right away it's bad. The tire starts going flat really, really freaking fast. But we were, like, right near a gas station. We, we pull in the gas station. We have a plug kit. But, you know, pull up to the, you know, throw a, back then you threw one quarter in to run the air yep. compressor for, like, an hour, right? It would just keep running. Uh, so we throw a quarter in. We air it up, so we start looking for the flat. He's driving a little bit forward, a little bit forward. Finally, I hear it. And I look, and I go, I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. There's something big in there. So he gets out, pulls the plug kit out, gets a pair of channel locks, you know, uh, and, and grabs onto this thing and yanks it out. It's a freaking number two Phillips screwdriver. <laughs> and it's, it's, it went straight in. It's, the, what I was looking at was the handle, the end of the handle. 
Right? It's a big hole. We pulled it out. We threw a plug in it. We trimmed the plug up. We aired it up, and we went out four-wheeling for the day. Yeah. Right? Don't don't tell me it's not safe. Don't tell me it doesn't work. I, I you know, it's that's how it's rubber. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's like trying to say a Chinese finger, you know, Chinese finger torture. It's kind of reverse of that. Yeah. The harder you pull, the tighter it gets. Yeah. Right. So the harder it pushes, the tighter that seal gets. If you don't have a plug kit in any vehicle, you're wrong. I'm sorry. You really are. Um, next one. What are your opinion of toy hauler trailers? For people that don't know, a toy hauler is a regular like bumper or fifth wheel trailer that's got a big gate in the back that comes down like a drawbridge, and you got eight or ten or six feet, so you can put your four by four or your motorcycle back there or something. Or you can. What's nice is you can load in all your totes of preparedness stuff, so it's really it's extra space. Now it takes away from your living space which is a negative, but it gives you a huge, huge closet uh, for you to put your preparedness stuff into and extra fuel and extra water. And the other thing is you might have a motorcycle. If you bug <laughs> out with a, with a truck and a trailer and you got a motorcycle and you need to run into town, you're taking the motorcycle or the ATV. It's got a, lots of options to it, but it's dependent upon you for you to make that decision. Well, I agree. I actually love the, the, the idea of a toy hauler, even if you don't have a toy. So let's say we don't have a motorcycle or a four-wheel drive. Like you said, you've got all this extra options for uh, space. Yep. But you get some aircraft-grade uh, cables, and you yep. set that so that you can let that toy hauler down. A lot of them come already ready to do this, by the way. And it can go down like a ramp so you can drive a vehicle down it. Now, if this is made for someone to take a four, like a, a four by four uh, side by side, and yeah. drive down it, I, I, you know what? It'll hold a person or two, right? Yep. So you have that set up, and you have some folding chairs and all, and now you have a deck. Yep, and you put some blocks of wood underneath it for worst case scenario. Yeah, and it's supported, and you got a nice deck. You can pop up a mosquito net tent, or just even a canopy. Or a a simple ten by ten by ten canopy, and now you you now your space is bigger. Yep. Because I don't want to stay in a trailer any longer than I have to. And your floor is clean. You're not on the dirt. You're out. Of, yep. You're out of the muck and everything else. It's got uh, beautiful options to it. Uh, I I I love everything. You know that. And plus, let's say you got a bunch of extra people that become refugees with you. And, you know, all you gotta do is put cots in the back of the toy hall. You know, take the ATVs out, put cots back in there or mats, and say that's your sleeping space. Whoa. It's either that or outside of. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I like the toy hauler option as well because, like you said about having a motorcycle or an ATV or what have you. So if you have two adults in a bug out scenario, and most of our audience probably would, you have two vehicles. So if two different things need to happen at the same time you have that option, and, and that's something you may not have otherwise. Plus, there's times, like you said, going into town during a disaster when there's tons of people in there. What's more maneuverable, a motorcycle or a truck with a trailer? Yep, the motorcycle, it's better on fuel. It can get around obstructions. It can go off-road. It can go around things. It can go over things. Um, you can, you know, someone, You can see someone walking in and... You know, he's he, like five miles of town. I say, you going to town, buddy? He goes, yep. And he's smoking. It's like, you know, I'll trade you a pack of smokes for a ride into town. Okay. 
You know, and the other thing I would say, though, is a caution with motorcycles, just a general caution. When we uh, we set up rifles to shoot, we'll say often when we, we dial a rifle into a certain point, the rifle is now more accurate than the shooter, so there's no point in trying to make the rifle any more accurate than it already is. Right. It now exceeds the ability. Okay, not every rifle exceeds the ability of every shooter, but every motorcycle exceeds the ability of every rider. There is something that bike can do that you are not capable stay within your limits on a motorcycle, any any vehicle, honestly, but motorcycles have, like, you see guys do shit on TV and they're jumping boulders and all, just because you've seen it don't mean you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race. I'm not a motorcycle person. Listen to Jack. All right, so when it comes to toilet and hygiene, what are your thoughts on composting toilet like a nature's head? I have heard of boondockers that use this to eliminate the hassle of black tanks with a couple you can go a couple weeks before emptying due to how it separates and breaks down solids. I know nothing about this product, by the way, Steve, personally. Okay, composting toilets, the people like them. They think they're great. Let me tell you, I don't like them. I don't think they're great. They're expensive. I can go get a top-of-the-line Thetford, T-H-E-T-F-O-R-D, Porta potty. They own the the uh, copyright, not the copyright, the trademark for porta potty. They are the number one brand in porta potties. They're on Amazon, about one hundred twenty-eight dollars. They hold three gallons of fresh water, four gallons of messy poo, and everything else below it, and they flush. You can flush everything down into there. Now there are two schools of thought. When you have a porta potty, now the stink is basically caused by some chemicals and mostly bacteria. The chemicals called skatol and bacteria make stink as well. So you can either put in like uh, pool chlorine, uh, regular chlorine, or iodine, or anything else, or the blue porta, uh, the blue packets, and you can kill all the bacteria in your uh, porta potty and nothing will stink and they got their own odor to them so they smell nice and then or you can go the other route whereas you pour in enzymes and good bacteria and what they do is they break down everything they'll break down your toilet tissue and I talked to aerobic labs one of the biggest people uh, out there in uh, septic tank treatment blackwater tank treatment I talked to one of their head chemists, uh, and she said, no Charmin, no um, ear things, um, uh, Q-tips. Q-tip, no Q-tips, no tampons, no nothing. Scott tissue and other thin tissue is the best. You don't need to use expensive RV tissue. Their enzymes and bacteria, Ridex, Robic, there's some other ones on Amazon, what they'll do is they will break down the cellulose and they'll break down everything into a black liquid. So you can pee and poop. Now, for your information, your poop is 75% water if it's a normal poop. And so that's going to break down. It's mostly uh, blood. It's mostly undigested food. It's mostly uh, dead blood cells. Uh, dead cells from your colon, and fat and lipids is what makes it up, okay? This is not, you use lipid, lipidase to break down lipids. It's an enzyme. You use cellulase to break down cellulose. 
all the stuff basically in a porta potty becomes a black liquid. You you got a nice handle on it. It won't leak if you got set for And you go and you either like dig a hole and you pour it in the hole in the forest, or you pour it on the ground in the forest and don't care because bears and deers and rabbits piss and crap in make the sure woods anyway. Yours isn't going to make any difference. Or you go and pour it down a toilet. Okay. The other thing you He's can okay. do, if you really want to get rid of it, you get a five-gallon uh, metal can. You pour everything into it, or you use the five-gallon can, like just for going number two. And you can literally put some kitty litter in there to cover up your number two. And then you pee into a different bottle. Pee is sterile. You can pour it out. Do anything you want with it. People mix it fifty-fifty with water, and they put it on their garden. You know about that, Jack? Yep. So, uh, pee is sterile, just dispose of it in any easy way, and your poo with the kitty litter or whatever method you're using, put it in the metal can, put it on the campfire, and it will be nothing but brown and black powder when it's done, and you can then just pour it out. There's no bacteria, no infection, no nothing. It's sterile, it's desiccated, and it works great. And I will have to be remiss if I don't add in. There's always a shovel and a hole in the ground. There's always a shovel and a <laughs> hole in the ground. Yeah. Uh, you can go on Amazon. You can get these nice uh, toilet seats with three legs. And they're meant for you to dig a little hole in the ground, sit out there on the toilet seat so it's comfortable. Your wife, your kids will feel fine. You can even get a little pop-up enclosure that goes over them. And they go in the hole, you put the toilet paper in the hole, you pee in the hole, and then you cover it up, you move it to another spot. It's, exactly. It, it's that simple, people. Don't make it harder than it is. Setford, if you want to go with the porta-potties, luggable loos and five-gallon plastic cans and metal cans, if you want to go the regular way, pee in something, poop in something else, use dirt or cat litter to cover it up, or pee and poo into the same thing, put the blue packs in, uh, put um, also something called uh, poo-pourri, which is uh, a scented <laughs> oil. And when you put a scented oil or cooking oil or motor oil on top of your uh, poo tank, what happens is it holds in all the stink. Uh, just don't add motor oil to the top and then pool chlorine to kill everything because the pool chlorine will react with the motor oil and cause a fire, but regular uh, bleach won't. You, you know what? There's actually a product now. I can't remember what it's called, but it's for, like, women that don't want to be embarrassed when they go use a public restroom. Yep. Poop, it's called it, That's Okay, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I saw it advertised on a TV. Okay. It's not, uh, not potpourri. It's poopery. 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 Yep. It's All right. actual, actual product. Yeah, yeah, I did see that ad. I didn't realize that there was the same one. Yep. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, if water conservation is a big concern, what do you think of the two-spray bottle minimalist method for keeping clean that Bob Wells talks about on Chief RV Living, especially if it's paired with a third spray bottle of rubbing alcohol for an extra wipe down or and some dry shampoo? I would think we could go for a long while like that on a cup a day and be quite clean. Bob Wells is a walking, talking genius whose entire life is dedicated to making videos to tell you how you can be free and live in a van, live in a trailer, live out of a car, 
and do it. If that man shows you it and he's done it and he says do it, then like Jack tells you, do it. He is the man. Watch Bob Wells, B-O-B-W-E-L-L-S, or Cheap RV Living on YouTube or the website. Watch them all. You will learn so many preparedness tricks. It's beyond description. It's beyond description, the wealth of knowledge you will get from watching Bob Wells. I cannot say enough or support the man enough. Awesome. So just a real quick clarification for listeners. This is not the same Bob Wells you buy trees from in East Texas that gives discounts on the MSB. It's a different Bob Wells. Very common name. But I, I would agree. I don't really know the method, but just by the description, I, I get it. You know, it, it, it makes perfect sense. But I would add that cleanliness is one of the most important things when you're living like this, making sure that you're clean, you stay clean. It's part of morale. But also things like make sure you're cleaning your feet, your pits, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was like, and I mean, they were tied on this when we were in the military, and we were doing long road marches and stuff, and you stopped to take care of your feet. They would come by and inspect your feet down yes. to, like, a lieutenant looking between your toes. Yes, yes. There's a reason. Yes. There's a reason. It's not just to be a dick to you. There's a reason. It is the place where you can have – I've seen some pretty nasty things happen to feet, even when people are doing their best. So yes. please make sure you are – paying attention to sanitation if you quote band of brothers you want four pairs of socks you know? <laughs> uh, yeah also i have um at um first aid one two three four dot com i got a free first aid class the number one thing throughout military history throughout survivalism and wilderness and you know i'm trapped here the number one thing that will cripple you first is a skin issue, a cut, a scrape, a blister, a bleed, an infection. And the number one place that will happen first is your feet. So mm -hmm. if Bob Wells says take a spray bottle full of water and a little soap and spray down, wash with a cloth, then spray down with a water bottle, and then take, like, uh, another cloth and some alcohol and do your pits and your crotch and your feet, yeah, that man is talking some wisdom, and it, it, it prevents the problem before it happens. Definitely wash and clean your skin, because you know what a rash is like when you're trying to walk, or a blister, let alone burst, and then gets infected? Keep your skin pristine and clean. Uh, the, it, it will get you first. The second thing that gets you is your digestive system. So drinking clean water, you know, everything else. Uh, the number one killer of people in the world is dysentery, which is fecal contaminated water that, yep. they're, that they're drinking. Uh, yep. They'll die in a day from uh, vomiting and diarrhea and dehydration in one day. So uh, 50 times more people in Haiti. 50 times more people in Haiti died during the earthquake from that than every other cause of death combined. Yes. Every not just not just shit falling on you but getting shot during looting. You add it all up. Fifty times more people died of basically diarrhea. Because when you give a person a choice that's that's thirsty and dehydrating to drink shitty water or no water, they'll drink shitty water every time. So never put yourself in a position where you can't get clean water. People listen to this carefully. Jack and I 
we have just given you some absolutely precious knowledge in the last 45 minutes, and we got another 45 to go. Listen to this twice. What we're telling you here is gold. It is worth listening to this twice with what we're covering because we're, we're covering a lot of issues that happen in a SHTF scenario, a bug out scenario. We're covering them all and it happens to be wrapped around trailers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's keep going there because this is an interesting thing when we compare it to trailer and not trailer on this next one because I know what your opinion is going to be, but when I have my opinion, it's going to be different if it's not a trailer. Okay, so here we go. When it comes to heat, thoughts on a catalytic one like Olympian Wave or one of those small wood stoves made out of a repurposed large ammo can? <laughs> Jack, why don't you talk about the repurposed our ammo can I, wood stove? I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of doing that at all. Me neither. Okay, I, I don't think ammo cans are meant to be wood stoves. No. And I don't think you should probably put a wood stove in a bug-out trailer that's designed to be used during a crisis situation when you got 300 other things going on. And I'll let you talk about propane, catalytic, and that stuff. Where I do see utility in small wood stoves is either if you're a DIYer and you really know what you're doing, then I don't have to say anything. Okay, You can build one yourself. Or there are purpose-built micro-wood stoves yes. that are freaking fantastic for like small houses and stuff like that. Yeah. If you're living in a place, if you've done a shed conversion, if you've done a tiny house on wheels to get around, you know, the government regulations, if even if it's a trailer, if you are living somewhere like you are a homesteader living free, the Bob Wells way, and your trailer moves when you move four times a year, then a purpose-built, good quality, safe wood stove is a fantastic idea. Especially if you have your kids. Right, yeah, because you've got wood. If your kids are screaming and crying, your wife is upset, you just had to leave your house behind, and you're trying to transport wood with you, the amount of wood to BTU ratio compared to what's in a freaking uh, propane tank for your freaking grill. Right is ridiculous. So I'll leave it to you on the propane side. Okay, I like propane a lot, people, for the simplicity. There's one thing one of my mentors taught me, Clemente Mesa, that when you can do things without the permission of others, it's under your own control. You can go to Home Depot. You, they've got a 24-hour propane system. You can walk up. You can buy a brand-new bottle of propane with propane for 50 bucks. You can refill it for 20 you swap them out. You can get all the propane you want. Propane is C3H8. It's like alcohol, which is C2H5OH. It is a monochemical. Gasoline is a thousand chemicals. These are very stable chemicals that will store forever and won't break down. Now, the, the cheapest propane heater is going to be called a blue flame heater. You can get them at Harbor Freight, you can get them online, you can get them for natural gas, you can get them for propane. You can get them from between 10,000 and 30,000 BTUs. You can hook up the propane to it, it'll heat your trailer quite good, and it'll stay good. It is a good, keep it simple, I don't know much about this option. You can get a battery-powered CO detector that'll help protect you. It will. You can cook on it, you can swap it out at... Home Depots and other places and Rite Aids quickly enough. Now, 
I'm going a little bit more extravagant. Okay, a blue flame propane heater is between a hundred and two hundred dollars, closer to a hundred. I am going to get a Toyotomi Laser 530 direct vented oil miser heater. This is a heater that goes onto the wall of my trailer, brings in fresh air, exits out the exhaust, runs on number two uh, diesel, number one diesel, and kerosene. And since there's no internal flame, there's no way it can CO you, but I, I have a mm. diesel truck, so it'll and it'll heat like 30,000 BTUs, which is what I need in a 28-foot in a trailer. Plus, for the purposes of teaching you, you've seen the R2-D2 type AC units. Well, those, people ask me where to get them. They're on Amazon. They're at Walmart. Go get them. Yep. They also make a heat pump version, which is a reversible AC system, so I can get 14,000 BTUs out of cooling, and I can get 12,000 BTUs out of heat. Now, I have a Honda EU2000i generator with a three-day, six-and-a-half-gallon gas tank on it, so it can run for three days without me refueling. Now, the generator is my main heat and cool source. And, and plus it gives me power and everything else. The Honda is quiet. I can let it run 24 hours a day. I can cool myself with the, uh, with the AC unit heat pump. Now, the thing is, if you took a 15-amp wall socket, which the Honda basically is, and you ran it to a ceramic heater, you're running about 1,500 watts. That is equal to about 5,000 BTUs, and it will never be more than 5,000 BTUs. When you get to a refrigeration cycle, even running in reverse like a heat pump to make heat, you're based on something called the Carnot cycle. You are pumping heat. You are literally taking heat from the air and dumping colder air outside than it is cold, and you get about a 3 to 1 coefficient of performance. So off my Honda, I can dump about 12,000 BTUs of heat versus 5 into my trailer, and then I can plug in and have heat if I'm at a campgrounds or I'm harvesting power, subject of a future video, um, or I can use my generator. And so I've kind of, I'm doing multiple methods, and I'm doing the harder methods, so I can tell you and show you on video exactly what I did, how I did it, and why I did it, so you can make the best decision on what you might want to do. But take my advice propane simple off the shelf shelf cheap works we can talk about you know direct vented heaters cabin heaters for boats um heat pumps those are you know a much more detailed subject that i'll cover separately in the future okay so like I really like your idea of going with like a dual purpose. That's what I was understanding, a dual purpose device. So it looks like I have two of these R2-D2 air conditioners upstairs in my house yep. in the guest rooms. Yeah. Because my upstairs rooms get hotter than the rest of the house, and I don't want to make it, you know, 64 degrees down here so my guests can have 72 up there. So, like, you know, when there's a guest, turn it on, use it however you want. So my, my understanding is you're talking about there are some of them that also, instead of just doing air conditioning, will do heat. Oh, yes. You can't go to right. – I mean, I, I'm getting a Honeywell – which is the top of the line because the reviews on it are good. Everything else cheaper has horrible reviews. And I'm talking that this thing, a roll-around R2-D2 air conditioner, could be two to $400. 
the Honeywell heat pump that does both starts at 600 bucks. So it's more complex, it's more expensive, yet it's more flexible. And like I said, propane, simple, start, use, stores forever. Yep. You can have 10 tanks right now from Home Depot, uh, but I'm trying to show you all types well, of answers. Well, here's, here's my thing on why I like this idea. I really hadn't thought about it until you brought it up. Let's say that right now I needed to bug out for whatever reason. It's yep. 24 four degrees out right now, and I got propane heater. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Yep. I'm happy. Yep. I'm warm and toasty. We're okay. Well, what if I, you know, I, I don't know if you know this either, but, like, disasters generally don't call you up and ask you when it would be convenient <laughs> for them to happen. So let's say that I have to bug out in August. Yeah. And I got a propane heater down here in Texas. I don't need heat. Nope. I need cool. Yes. And there's other ways, and we'll probably talk about this in a future episode because I want to keep rolling on this stuff, but uh, you could keep cool, but you could only keep so cool without having, you know, Dr. York, we owe him a, a memorial, right? There should be a memorial for Dr. York who invented the first air conditioner in, in, in Washington, D.C., like right next to like the Washington Monument or something, right? right? There's a value in that that's just unbelievable. And so I like that because then you have both. And it makes me think of the you know, little meme with the little girl, and it's just like, well, why can't we have both? Yep. You know? <laughs> well, we can. And then you've got, an air, you've, got a, you've got a generator, and that generator does so many other things. Yes. Because your disaster will always be different than your last one. Yes. You don't want to be like the government, right? So the government is prepared now. For a bunch of guys with razor knives to take over an airplane. Right. There will never be a bunch of guys with razor knives taking over an airplane ever again. Nope. And the, the next disaster will be different. Yeah. And it, I don't want to get political with it or anything. I'm just saying, like, in your life, you got to realize, like, we learned that with Harvey. We saw hurricanes before. We saw what Sandy was. Harvey was totally different yep. but the same. Yep. And you got to be prepared for that flexibility. So if i got that, that generator, well... Maybe I'm not bugging out, but maybe the power's out in my house. Now the generator does that. Maybe I go to my, my buddy's house, and he can still live in his house, but he doesn't have power, and he's not really a prepper. I've got my trailer full of shit. i got my generator. Boom, we have power at his house. i got my R2-D2 air conditioner. It might suck, but if it's hot out, we take one room in his house. We plug that sucker into the window. We plug in the, the Honda, and at least we have a place where everybody can go get cooled off. Yeah. It's it's more flexibility, so I love that, Steve. Yeah, yeah. And now, see, the thing is, the heart of my system is the thousand dollar Honda EU two thousand I, top of the line. You're never going to regret it. Generator with a VM sales, Victor Mike Sales dot com, six and a half gallon external fuel tank. It will run forever uh, for me without me having to go out and feed the baby. So since I got this high-quality piece of equipment that's not going to fail me, I have everything else built around this, so I got that advantage. Now, there's the Ryobi. There's the Champion. I've not bought them yet. I'm hearing good things about them. They're half the cost. Um, They don't have the (coughs) tanks like the Honda. There are some things you can hook up, so they might work as a better generator for you. If you don't have a generator, the Harbor Freight or Northern Tool $88 to $139 two-cycle generator that puts out only between 700 and 800 watts but says it's 1,000, that surge, 
That is a good generator to start with. It's only got a life of a thousand hours because of the quality of the parts. Uh, my Honda's got a twelve thousand hour approximate life, uh, but it won't run an air conditioner because you need to have an eighteen hundred two thousand watt generator to run a decent sized air conditioner. Uh, it would run a five thousand BTU uh, window unit from Walmart for fifty five bucks. Uh, so that, you know, the little two-cycle would work on that. But since you me- mentioned generators, I wanted to tell you, I can do the heat pump for my bugging out because I have put a very good generator there, and then I have leveraged off the quality of that generator. And what I love about generators in that class is the average 14-year-old boy can pick one up and carry it around. They're not heavy. That's, that's, that's a big deal. I've had mine for over 20 years. Wow. If you can buy it, if you can spend a thousand bucks on the generator, the Honda EU two thousand I, if you can do it, it'll last you a lifetime. Especially if you change oil and take care of it, you won't ever regret it. It is a good foundation to build upon. If you can't afford it, go with the two cycles. Go with my how to power your house from your car with your inverter. You know, improvise and do other things. Uh, I will teach you and have taught you. I've done shows with Jack. You can go listen to him. Just put Steve Harris in the search bar. I will tell you everything right now. It's it's there for you to listen to. Uh, if you can afford it, great. If you can't afford it, there's other options to you. Also, you want to cool yourself, uh, cool water, and making ice, and uh, little ice makers, and make ice, put it into your drink, drink the cool water, you feel a lot better. That's the quickest way to cool down. Cool the person, not the space. Put a fan on yourself. That's where you go. All right, so let's go. We've got another question here. What if you're not a DIYer? How can a person adapt or purchase a tent for a van? Also, this is a bit of an aside, but can you think of a fast and reliable way to move a person's pantry into a vehicle? We talked about a ladder-type contraption with rolling tubes, so the boxes ride into the vehicle. Any thoughts on how to fill a car truck bed quickly after disaster? You need to bug out. Jack, take it. All right, so here's here's my thing. Majority of the things that you should be taking when you're going to bug out should already be packed and ready to go right now today. Now, I'm not saying that you might not have some things in your pantry or your living room or your bedroom that might be useful. Yes. If you're going to rely on that stuff, let's take the free approach, right? Because whatever you're going to spend to build this factory-type conveyor slide system mm-hmm. – uh, could be spent building the rest of your preparedness to a higher level. So let's take the free approach or the, the, the 10 cent approach for ink and paper. Let's take a walk around and let's identify all of the things that if you had to leave, you would take. Because you ain't going to take your whole pantry. You don't have enough room. You don't have enough space. We're talking a couple weeks to maybe a month in most of these situations. And if it's longer than that, you're going to have time to procure other things. And there's just a limit. There's a spatial limit in what we can, a weight limit into what we can take. So if you're going to be grabbing any last-minute items, let's have an inventory sheet says what it is and where it is and some empty totes for it. While one or two members of the family are grabbing all the shit that's in a pile or it's already in the trailer, depending on how you store it, and doing that... Another person or persons takes the inventory sheet, grabs all the other shit, throws it into those totes, put it in there. There is no scenario in which setting up a freaking conveyor belt is going to be more efficient 
than two adults grabbing some Rubbermaid tubs and putting them into a vehicle. It's just not going to happen. You're not taking your entire pantry in a bug-out scenario. It ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. And if you want to do that, well, you might as well go get yourself like a massive trailer right now and, and use that as your pantry because that's about the only way it's going to happen, and I, I wouldn't recommend that. Now, let's look at the idea. Let's say you live in a 55-story apartment building, and you're on the 55th floor, and you got your vehicle parked down, you know, down there someplace, and it's 300 feet from the apartment building. If you okay. got to take, you got your totes in your apartment, so you load up your totes, put them into a standard hand hand cart, either four wheel or two wheel, go to the elevator with your totes in your hand cart, and take them down to your your vehicle. Wheel them out to your vehicle in the hand cart. Go back, get the next load, come back. A simple hand cart from Home Depot or Harbor Freight will, and with good tires. Preferably solid tires, uh, a good hand cart or a push-around cart will wheels make life easy. People remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, and I, I bet most people aren't in that long-distance scenario. You're talking a driveway to a kitchen. There, there's no reason for any kind of mechanization there. Um, but I get questions from people who live in apartments, and so I that's true. I, I feel I have to address it. You know. What if I, you know, I got a guy from um, uh, Hong Kong. He says 95% of the population lives in an apartment in high rises. 5%, That's true. 5% of the people have a house and grass and land. And, you know, the apartment buildings are literally poured concrete. And, you know, they don't have cars and everything else. And it's like, I mean, I literally called. They said, look, buddy, I'll give you all my videos for free. Let me call you up on Skype and talk to you for 30 minutes. Just because I wanted to learn his perspective. You know, what it makes me realize, too, though, is like we're so spoiled because I, I read an article about three months ago about people that actually had to bug out, refugees from the Middle East. Yes. And when it, when it showed what they have, they had like their phone, some cash, a USB drive, like nothing more than a backpack. And anything additional would have been stolen from them during the evacuation. Yes. So, like, if they can get by with that, we can get by with a few Rubbermaid totes, trust me. Um, on the other part of that question, though, we're asking about a tent for a van. I don't really know about a tent for a van. A tent is a tent to me. A tent could go in a van, and then when you get somewhere, you could set it up. I would say this. As long as setup is easy and the tent is quality, no one ever said, gee, Steve, I wish this tent were smaller. Yeah. <laughs> right? So so the, the biggest easy-to-set-up quality tent that you can afford and you're looking for a tent that can be set up with your wife helping you without it ending up in a divorce. And the best advice I could give somebody that says, I want to basically make a van with a tent, my bug out situation, is take up the hobby of camping yes. with your van and a tent. Yes. And go out and camp for a weekend. There. And if you, I'm not going to say to make your kids and your wife miserable, oh, we didn't bring it, you don't get it, right? But whatever you end up going to get, you write it down and you learn from it. Yes. And if you do that, you're you're probably going to do all right. I, I it sounds almost like he means like a tent that attaches to a van. I personally would not do that. I don't like these tents that are like specially made to attach to a vehicle. I kind of get it. They make something to go in the back of pickup trucks and all. But is your truck six or eight feet? And the, the thing with that is. 
I always believe in an exit strategy. Yep. Okay? If I have a piece of equipment that I put money into, if my life changes, my scenario changes, I don't feel that I need it anymore, I want to be able to sell it. If I have a really nice family-sized tent, Craigslist will always make it go away and make money go into my pocket. Some kind of special hybrid thing that's designed to attach to a cargo van, it's a much more niche market, it's not as liquid, and I want my gear to be functional, quality, long-lasting, and liquid. Yep. Right. I want liquidity in everything that I own. I want lasting value. That's why I believe buy the best you can afford under the circumstances because you generally get that quality that I'm talking about, but you also get liquidity. Yes. Because the other disaster could be that you just have a complete disaster in your own life and you need money. Yep. And if you have to go sell your shit, you have to go sell your shit. At least you can. Yep. But if you have some kind of hokey, adapted, uh, transformer type thing, you, you're probably a lot less likely to find a buyer. Yep. I agree. All right. So you read everything out of my mind. I was going to mention the tents and everything and the custom ones, and you, you covered it great. I agree completely. All right. So what are some – by the way, we're down to about 10 minutes here. What are uh, some possibilities for smaller cars? I drive a Prius and a Toyota says not to tow with one, but I've seen some pop-up trailers attached to aftermarket hitches. What kind of weight can a Prius tow for long distance? Will towing a trailer with a Prius get a driver in legal trouble, not asking for legal advice, just things to consider? No, no, no. You're not going to get in legal trouble. And almost you can tow almost anything that you want until you get to a hill. And then <laughs> you, you, you know, you're working with gravity. So a Prius, you can do a 1,000-pound trailer and a 1,000 pounds of load and probably still be able to go up hills in the desert. Uh, in the summertime and, and make it out. Look, you bought a Prius, you bought it for other reasons, you live with it, that's your decision. Uh, you got to live within the limitations of it. Um, but you can get uh, a lightweight trailer. Someone asked about aluminum versus iron trailers. You can get a lightweight aluminum trailer, and you can put your stuff into it. You can go to the U-Haul store. They will put a small inch-and-a-half Reese hitch they will clamp it to the frame or the, the unibody of the Prius, and they'll bolt it down. So you can at least pull max trailer and cargo 2,000 pounds with the Prius. And I'll just add that a lot of the teardrop trailers, especially some of the self-builds, yeah. you can get down into like the 850-pound range with one of those. Yes. They are not something that I would want to make a part of my daily life. But if I had a choice between a teardrop trailer and a tent, a teardrop. or a, a tent without a teardrop trailer, mm-hmm. or a teardrop trailer without a tent, I'll take the two teardrop options over just the tent any day. Yes. But I would say, like, if you can have a teardrop trailer, you can also have a tent. And then we can take our shit out of there. We can put it, even if we're going to sleep in the little teardrop trailer and a little coffin casket thing, okay, well, we can sleep in there. We can climb it and control that. We can take all the crap that we shoved in that space for extra storage. We set our tent up. We put it in there. It stays dry and secure and safe. Yes. So... That, that, I'd kind of look in that direction, or I would look in a direction of basically like one of these small trailers that's really, you're not even thinking about living it. All it is doing is taking extra stuff. Yep. And, and that's, that's, like you said, you bought a Prius, you live with it. Um, I could just tell you that, you know, you could go out and get yourself a used half-ton truck right now on any of the, the lots here and there for about two to $4,000 in it could just sit there and be an extra car, and it's liquid because you're not putting miles on it, so you could probably sell it where you got for it. 
and if you needed it, it would pull a nice size trailer. I would, I would just add that. I, you know, I, I'm a big believer in heavy duty diesel trucks, but if I have a Prius uh, and nothing else, that's a much more limiting thing than if I have a Prius and a an old Chevy or Dodge or Toyota or something like that. And I drive by these car lots down the road for me. These vehicles have, you know, 90 to 130,000 miles on them. They're 10 years old, but they work, they start, they drive $4,500 right on the window in white freaking shoe polish. And also, I, it's, also Bob Wells, in his essentials list, he interviews a lady, a fat lady, who lives in a <laughs> Prius for three years, no trailer, and she tells you how to do everything in a Prius. She camps for two weeks at a time. It's her house. She has nothing else. If this big woman can take a dump in a Prius and live in a Prius and do everything, <laughs> boy, <laughs> you can do it with a teardrop even better. Go watch Bob Wells, The Essentials. And when you see the big lady with the Prius, take notes. All right. So even though we're close to time, I'm going to yep. do two more, and we're going to wrap this episode. Okay. Is there a good way to charge a battery on a camping expedition bug-out trailer through the 7-pin conductor. I've read folks doing it, but it seems like the wire running through the 7-pin conductors might not be heavy enough gauge. For, for, <laughs> look, if, if you got a little trailer behind you with a little itty-bitty battery like most trailers come from, it will put some energy into it. If you're trying to do Steve Harris stuff with inverters and batteries, that connector, either on the 4-pin or the 7-pin, is in no way heavy enough to dump enough energy Back no. to the trailer, uh, you're going to have to have a generator. You're going to have solar panels. You're going to have to pull over, idle the vehicle, put an inverter on it, put an extension cord on it. I got a new charger I like many times better than the Schlumacher. It's called Potec, P-O-T-E-C or T-E-K. It's on Amazon. There's a 20-amp and a 40-amp and a 10-amp. You can get the 40, get the 40. If you can't, get the 20. It's good enough. So at least you can idle the car, power the inverter, run through the extension cord to the charger in the trailer, and charge up your trailer battery that way for higher power things. Let me just add to that real quick. Um, when I was a kid, there was this guy named Jason I went to high school with, and he fancied himself a genius when it came to AV stuff. And so he was going to help my buddy Kenny put a stereo in. I don't remember exactly what he did to make this happen, but uh, he shorted something out, and the wire that was running the power wire to the stereo uh, smoked all of the insulation off it. White smoke, flames, not good. Fortunately, he quickly was smart enough to pull back and shut it down. The whole car filled with white smoke, not good. Uh, this is what you're risking if you're trying to do this, that wire comes at certain gauges for certain uses, and the purpose of a 7-pin conductor is to run lights on your trailer. Actually, it, it is brakes. The purpose of a 7-pin is trailer brakes. Okay. If you got trailer brakes, you got a 7-pin. You don't have a 4. If you got a 4-pin, yeah. it's a smaller trailer, it's a teardrop, a pop-up, you don't have trailer brakes in it. And well, let's say lights and brakes, then. What I yeah. mean is... It ain't to, it is not to charge, you know, a couple, um, 
uh, you know, deep cranking batteries or a couple uh, golf cart batteries or, or a, a couple liquid gel ba- uh, gel uh, batteries. That's not what it's for, yep. and it won't work. And if you do it, I promise you, you're going to regret it. You're probably going there's, to top infuse this. Yeah, there's ways if you really want to that you could basically build the same type of thing that Steve teaches you how to build in his course where you have a battery bank in the back of a, a, a toolbox and a pickup truck, and you could run cable like that all the way to the rear of your vehicle and charge that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would recommend it. Um, there's, like you said, just an inverter and an extension cord, and you, you know, what have you. Um, but you could do it the other way, but you can't do it with uh, uh, a 7-pin or, or any of that stuff. Nope. I don't care what it is. It's not. It's not what it's for. Don't do that. Unless you were doing just small twelve volt battery with twelve volt LED lights, then you could. Yeah, you're talking something like a little bit bigger than a deer feeder battery yeah. or some shit like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, if you're pulling a bug out trailer with a pickup truck, what should go in the bed of the truck instead of the trailer? And why? <laughs> First of all, the stuff that goes in the bed of the truck has to be tied down so it can't be stolen. Uh, and uh, what I typically do is, since I have very long-range fuel ability, I mean, I can literally drive 1,400 miles if I desire without refueling. I put my 15-gallon fuel tanks in the back of the truck. Uh, no, they're not going to start fire. And the plastic ones... I can hit the brakes, get in an accident. They can go flying down the road and bouncing down the road, and they're not going to break. They're going to be fine. Uh, so I carry my fuels, my volatiles, and uh, actually some of my cooking equipment in uh, a tote right next to the, uh, the tailgate of the trailer because I'll pull over and uh, I'll open the tote, get out my propane br- uh, stove, and uh, I'll boil up some hot dogs and have some chips and some milk. And I'll, so I'll have my cooler in the bed of the truck. I'll have a little stove and a little food area, but then I'll also have my fuel. Now, let's say we've talked about a dual-fuel Coleman stove that runs on Coleman fuel or gasoline. So what I do in that case is I take the Coleman stove, and I have a little siphon with a bulb on it just so I can pump the fuel from one tank, 5 or 15, into the Coleman stove. You're always going to make a mess. You're always going to spill it. So it's better to make a mess outside and then, you know, cap it off, wipe it down, let it evaporate, and then, you know, then start your stove inside the trailer with it that way, even though I prefer if you do it outside. So that's what I do with my fuels and my trailer. What do you think, Jack? I think definitely, I mean, the first thing that popped into my head when I read that question was fuel, yep. right? I don't, want, I don't want diesel fuel. I don't want gasoline inside the trailer. I, I just don't want that for a variety it's of reasons. Stink factor. But, but, stink factor alone. Yeah, so my, but my other thing is, this is your, so you have to, a lot of questions have to be answered for the individual making the decision themselves. And this is one of those. But there's some constants that you would get in the answer to the question I'm about to ask that would steer you there. What? Will you need and or want without setting up camp? Right. And that belongs in the cab of the truck, the back of the truck, or in any kind of boxes that are external, or at least in like where you can open a trailer right at the door. It's like my lunch. And so like so like you said, like so you're gonna cook or clean. Let's think about something like this. Let's say you have a great first aid kit. Yeah. 
It's in your trailer. Somebody's laying on the ground bleeding, and you're unloading your trailer to get to your first aid kit. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Now, most people would snap to that one pretty quick. But the reason I use this as an example is it leads you to these other decisions. So when I was in the military, every single vehicle, every single – we would have like a tent that was going to be set up for the motor pool. And so a lot of stuff that would be sent up to be in that tent would come from multiple vehicles. We had what was called a TO&E, yeah. Table of Operations Expenditures, for the vehicles, yeah. and then a second TO&E for things that would be assembled. Mm -hmm. You need to develop. It doesn't have to be in the same format the military uses, though you can look it up online. It's free, public information on how they do it. But you need the equivalent of a TO&E for something like a bug-out trailer. And eventually you will have a complete TO&E, not necessarily because you'll have everything you ever wanted in the world. You will either run out of money or space. Yep. Once you are there, then you can evaluate all of that stuff and prioritize access to it. Yes. So that not only do we decide that this item doesn't go in the trailer all the way up in the front covered by everything else, this item goes in the back seat and the kids have to put their feet on top of it because it's that important. This item's going in the back of the truck, but it's going to go in the bin that's on the top. So all I have to do is take one ratchet strap off, pull the lid off. And you make those decisions based, again, on, on like certain things like fuel. You just, it doesn't, there's no good reason to put it in the freaking trailer. Right. But everything else, you make a decision based on your assessment. And if I say, well, these things go in the truck, these things go in the cab, these things go in the trailer. Well, what if you don't have that? What if you have other things? Yep. So, so I, I know it seems like this laborious step, right? But there's, you, you got to understand one thing about government. One thing they tend to get right is the military. Because it assures their survival, yep. right? It assures their continued existence. So they can screw all kinds of things up that don't matter. But if you screw up your military, mm -hmm. then you got a problem. When they put systems into a military unit, they're put there because they work. And when you take a 17-year-old kid off the street, you put him through 13 weeks of basic training, I think it is now, maybe four months for his school, and you drop him into a unit that's already trained, that's already been active in the field, that's already been going, he's green coming in there, that system causes him to function as a functional member of the unit. And they're able to get their mission done, even if they lost half of their veterans, And they're 50% are replaced with guys out of basic training boot camp, depending on it. They can get it done because that system's in place. You can think you're smart enough, you're fast enough, you're quick enough, you have enough knowledge, you're sharp enough that you don't need that. When you are freezing cold, your hands hurt, you, you, you're, you're, you forgot your headlights, so and now you got a freaking double-A flashlight in your teeth. Your kids are screaming. There's lights flashing. Yep. There's a storm going on, yep. and you're trying to get shit done. The more you have predetermined, the more you can rely on your personal training, and the more you'll just do what needs to be done. So I would really take the step. If you're going to take the step, the time and the money and the effort to put into something like a bug-out trailer, or even if you're not going to do a trailer, even if it's a tent and tubs and stuff to go in the back of your pickup truck, determine what's going to be there in advance and develop a packing plan for it And that can go, you can make that simple. You take the bin that's going to go on the bottom and the front, it's number, you know, 10 or 1, depending on how you want to start. And then those things go in there like numeric pieces of a puzzle. Yep. And that's just a big Sharpie. One, two, three, four. And, and, and then pack it up. Okay, it works. Now put it back wherever it lives if it doesn't live where you put it. 
And that way, when it comes time to do it, give me number one. Give me number two. Give me number three. There's no arguing. There's no fighting. There's no Tetris. Like we're not playing Tetris like when we go on vacation. It's all ready to go. And, and that's how I would approach it. There is something I learned from a very good friend of mine named Dale McClellan, who runs a tactical business called Special Tactical Services. Dale was a SEAL SEAL and an instructor and everything else. There are three things that must be met for everything that they teach people, and these are every class you can think of in the world. And this applies to preppers. Now, you've heard me say two is one, one is none. Now, all of you listen to this just as carefully as that. Condition number one, do you need it? Condition number two, does it work? <laughs> Condition number three, exactly what Jack said about you're bleeding, you got a broken arm, the dog is trying to pee, the kids are crying, the wife's bitching, it's raining, there's flashing lights, there's thunder and lightning, you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going, it's 40, it's raining, and you're cold. The third condition is, can you repeat it under stress? Everything you got for your bugging out and your prepping, you have to be able to repeat it under stress, or it's of no use to you. I completely agree. I mean, that's that's just good old fashioned military training right yep. there. And it's, you know, I know it comes with a seal, but trust me, that's that's boots on the ground every level. You, you can, and the way you know in the military, the way you learn whether you can compete complete under stress, they put you under yep. stress. Like, we'll make some stress. Oh, you don't look stressed enough. Let's make a little more stress and try it again. And, and it's hard for us to do that to ourselves. But it's a good idea. And even if it's not full stress, it's at least like, okay, well, uh, let's see. Pulling a cord on this generator, it starts the generator. I can start it. Can you do it left-handed? Because what if your right arm's dislocated? Yep. Can your wife do it? And at least even if there's things you can't do, know in advance what those things are. And that way you can think about it. And by the time you get to where you need to do it, you'll probably have come up with a solution. Yep. Um, so anyway, man, we've, we've kind of almost made it through two pages. Yep. Right, so we'll have to pick up the pace next time. Maybe we'll go through and nick some stuff and consolidate some stuff before our next there's one. Good. We'll probably do these once a month until we wear it out. <laughs> um, be an episode so three, four, and five. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you we have at least five here. But man, I had a good time doing this with you. This is fun. Awesome. I and we'll keep working through. It. Like I said, maybe we'll do it like once a month until we wear this thing out, and I'm sure it'll keep building. But I already said during the intro, Steve, we're not taking any more questions. <laughs> no, no. Until we're done. Okay. Until we're done with this. But I also told you, like, if there's any of these you want to break off and make them to an expert counselor or whatever, go ahead, man. You have free reign with I it. think you and I doing it off the cuff with just the notes, uh, freewheeling it. Uh, like, you know, we're both sitting down at a kitchen table having a beer or some tea. I, I think this is one of the best formats you and I have ever done. No preparation, no preparedness. It's just what is in our brains that we're dumping to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got this this morning at like uh, eight o'clock when I got up and shipped the ice off outdoors and came back in. So, and I'm gonna, I'm just marked it. I'm gonna put it in my file over there, and you know, we'll figure out what day we're gonna do this. Probably like leading off February, we'll just keep doing it toward yeah. like the first Tuesday of the month, and unless we have to make changes, and we'll keep it coming. But uh, I, I want to say thank you. To, uh, to you, Steve, but also to the, the, the listeners, because I think you and I thought we would get a lot of feedback to this. It was tremendous. 
I, I don't think either one. Like, if, if we would have put a bet on it, like an over-under, like five pages, six pages, I don't think either one of us would have went north of ten. Yeah, and you know what? i got to say thank you to a lot of great people that, you know, the guy in, in Hong Kong that I talked to for a half hour, uh, people like uh, Dave Im and Dale McClellan, uh these are all experts that you know I consult with, and we share ideas back and forth and experiences. So it's it's not just what you know. It's not. Don't think it's all coming from me. It's stuff that is a conglomeration of the excellence of many people that's just stuck in my head, and, and I'm regurgitating to you with experience and knowledge that I've done with it because I test everything. Uh, if there's, there was a show you were going to listen to twice. It's this one and the previous one, definitely. Yeah, yep. I would agree because we're hitting on things outside of trailers. We're hitting on basic preparedness, and then, we're, like you said, we're wrapping it around the concept of trailers. And I, I think you, you know you're right. And, and the, the truth is, this whole expedition that is TSP in its tenth year now is crowdsourcing group think at its finest. Yes, it, there's there's no one person that has all the answers, and whether it's people that have written in with ideas and suggestions that are really awesome. Or questions that your initial reaction, we talked about this before, you're like, that's not going to, wait a minute, right? It's like, I would have never even thought of that because it seems so ridiculous, but wait a minute, no, I can do that. Or uh, people that did, did actually have a suggestion, like I already did this and so it, it's made the whole thing so much more powerful because, again, we're back to the individual. The individual situation yep. is always the same yep. and it's always different. Yep. There's you know, six primary survival needs. That's the same for everybody. How they affect you in any given disaster is different for everyone. So how you think and how you adapt is huge. And, and this community has built uh, a knowledge source. I, I've learned more by teaching here than I've learned by doing anything else I've ever done in my life. Because, and uh, because, so it's pretty cool. Because we got to know it cold before we teach it. i got to anticipate yeah. all your questions and learn it and know it. So when I'm teaching it, I'm teaching it with confidence and experience. There is no textbook, yeah, right? No you're, text you're, unlike being a teacher in a school or university, your, your students not only get to and challenge you, they're encouraged to do yep. so. And uh, so you guys have done a good job of that this time, and thank you. Steve, thank you, and uh, I, I'll let you go now. I know you got a lot to do. i got, uh, I got ducks to defrost in the ground out here. This is... Uh, this is the biggest cold front I have ever seen come into North Texas like this. I've never seen anything like this. We've been below freezing uh, since Saturday. Get the camera and we, out and show us frozen ducks. We got to see it. I actually, I plan on. Hopefully, I get done with the, the editing on this. I want to do a property walk today. Uh, all my aquatic systems and not, nothing broke. <laughs> nothing broke. All the water on the property. I haven't shut the whole property off. Only the house has water. I took an air compressor. I made a fitting with my buddy David. Brought some parts over. We hooked it up to the, the, the water system. We opened up the hose bibs, blew it out. It can't break because there's no water in it. Right. You know, so, but we got ice everywhere. I dumped the pools out this morning, filled them up from a sink in the house, and uh, the water I dumped on the ground three hours ago is frozen solid to a sheet in three hours. I, like I said, I've not seen it like this here. But, uh, again, man, thanks for, thanks for being on the air with us, Steve, and uh, we'll get up with uh, part two next week. Okay, you're welcome, Or Jack. next month. And, uh, guys, Stephen1234.com. If you love Stephen Harris and you like the stuff he teaches, the guy's got so much stuff there, you got to get on over to the site again, Stephen1234.com. Thank you, Jack. Great interview, and I know this series is going to go longer. Let me tell you what we're not going to be doing. We're not taking more questions on this.
I've got 14, well, 14 minus what we covered today. Okay, so we're going to work through this, and I bet you that all the questions that you could ever have will be answered. And I've talked to Steve, and he may include some of these in some of his expert counsel stuff as well to work through them, some stuff that he wants to, to pick apart at, a, at a, a greater level than we could ever hope to accomplish doing it as an interview. Because he can pick out one question and give it 10 minutes, and we, we really can't do this, or we won't get through this this year. I mean, that, that's that's the flat reality. But this is something, obviously something there's a lot of interest in. That's my goal in 2018, to bring you new and different content that we haven't covered in the past and stick to fundamentals as well. We'll be doing a lot more this year. Again, I really enjoyed having Steve on the show today. Next up, let me remind you, one of the ways you can help support the Survival Podcast that is completely painless, doesn't cost you anything that you weren't going to spend anyway. When you're going to shop online, go to tspaz.com first. Check out my reviews on Amazon. Check out everything that's there. You can check out deals of the day. But as long as you go to tspaz.com before you shop online, you help the Survival Podcast and the work that we do right here with money you were going to spend anyway. And my reviews, I have the best stuff that you will find. And I, I commit this to you. If you see it on tspaz.com, it's either been used by me or I actively own and use it. 99% I actively own and use. Once in a while, there's something I don't really need. I've used it someone else. I've checked it out. Someone asked about it. I researched it. But 90, 99% of the stuff there, I own. It's in my house right now. tspaz.com. There's a lot of people that do reviews of stuff online and say, hey, you can go buy this here on Amazon. I own what I review. If I would not spend my money on it, I don't expect you to. tspaz.com. Remember the name. It's easy. T-S-P-A-Z. Dot com. Now, let's talk about the song of the day. This is one of my favorite John Lennon songs. We're going to be doing a five-part series on John Lennon because I screwed over John Adam and didn't do a show on the first. Uh, we'll split that this week, and we'll do the fifth one on Monday. But we're probably going to pick an artist and do a five-part series once a month going forward because it's really a cool thing. This is called Watching the Wheels Go By. Here's what it says about this song on Song Facts. John Lennon wrote this ode to inactivity to explain what he'd been up to in the last six years. Until Double Fantasy, his last album was Walls and Bridges, which was released in 1974. By the way, this was released in 1980. That's six years, okay? He is no longer interested in fame and dedicated to himself and family. His wife Yoko and his son Sean, John became the world's most famous house husband, baking bread and feeding Sean. The song makes a statement that taking it easy and spending time with loved ones is anything but crazy. Working way too hard in an attempt to be as productive as possible, on the other hand, can be quite unfulfilling in the end. Indeed. Um, given that just a couple short years later, John Lennon took a walk, and a man he never but before came up and said, can I get your autograph? And instead of being a snob celebrity who didn't want to be bothered, he took the time for this man to give him an autograph. And shortly thereafter, that man came back and shot John Lennon and killed him. There's no way we can ever know when something like that's going to happen. We can't. We have to greet the world with optimism. It's the first show of a new year. We're talking about all kinds of cool stuff. But that can happen to anyone. John Lennon was killed because he was famous. There have been people killed over $10. There have been people killed because they were in the wrong place at the one time. And that's just through malice. Through accident, through injury, it can happen to any of us. I think if John Lennon had any thoughts 
when he realized he was going to leave this world, I think at least one of them was, I am so glad I took that time to be with them. And I guarantee you that those he left behind certainly found solace in that. It's something to think about. It's a new year. New time for agendas and goals. And I believe in hard work. You guys know I believe in it. But don't lose the very things you're working to support and those things that support you. With that, this has been Jack Spierka with the first episode of a new year. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. People say I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing Well, they give me all kinds of warnings To save me from ruin When I say that I'm okay Well, they look at me kind of strange Surely you're not Shake the heads and they look at me as if I've lost my mind.